Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all of the people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And I'm DM Mitch. And today we are going to be talking all about the Warlock. And I don't know that we could get a better expert on the subject if we tried. I don't think we could. Rich Baker coming back on the forefather, if you will, of the Warlock and being one of the people there at its true infancy in the third edition when it was being formed. And I say it in the episode and I want to say it now. The first 10 to 15 minutes of him talking is like an absolute masterclass in the top end of what game design looks like. So if for nothing else, definitely listen to the episode for that. I mean, you can get inspiration as NPC or you have a player who is playing a warlock. Once again, we say it in the episode, but I think the warlock really gives the DM a great way to be involved with a player who's chosen to play this class. And the biggest element of that to me is the patron that the warlock makes a pack with. And speaking of patrons, for our gold dragon and higher tiers on our Patreon, this week we have three homebrew patrons that I've created for you as DMs to pair with some of your players that want to play Warlock characters. We'll talk more on that, but before we do, we have some five-star reviews that we want to give shout-outs for. And the first one comes from Tamari Cat and is entitled, Thank you for the help, five stars. Being someone that has never played a role-playing game and finding myself in the DM seat, the Dungeon Master's block has helped so much. Thank you. No, thank you, Tamarakat. And that is a very daunting position to just never have played even a role-playing game and to start off in the DM chair. We hope that it has been a fantastic experience for you, and we're glad that we could help you along the way. Definitely. And our next one comes from Night Zero, and it's entitled Always Entertaining, five stars. I got hooked from the very first episode. A few people seem to be hating on story time, but even those segments still have great (laughs) ideas in them, and they are entertaining, which is really the point, isn't it? Keep up the good work, guys. Someday I'll get caught up on the backlog. Well, thank you, Night Zero, and hopefully you're all caught up to hear this shout out right now. And our last one comes from Corathon and is entitled Making Fun Five Stars. I plan to make fun of one of my friends with an NPC in a game I'm making. <laughs> and that's his review. So, or her review. Thank you so much, Corathon, yes. for giving us that little insight to you as a person. And thank you for that review. That is awesome. And with that, Neil, you know what time it is. Let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. This week for the meat, we have a returning guest. I am super excited to invite back to the Dungeon Master's block, Rich Baker, author and game designer and the founder of Sasquatch Game Studio. Rich, how's it going? Hey, it's great. And uh, man, I'm I'm, I'm uh... Pleased to be back. We're glad to have you finally back. We were looking it up before the show. Neil was specifically looking up. You haven't been on in far too long. Uh, Neil, it was what? <laughs> uh, episode 108? Yep. World Building the Skies. And oh, then yeah, followed yeah, yeah. up with a yeah. DMNAS. Yep. It's about time we had you back on. And today we're excited to talk about the Warlock with you. But before we do that, we have 
some interview questions for you. They're going to be a little bit different because you are a returning guest. So it has been a while since you've been back on. So maybe you could just catch the listeners up. Like what's been going on with Rich Baker? What's been going on with Sasquatch Game Studio? What have you been up to? Sure. As far as what's been going on with Rich Baker, uh, uh, the thing that I'm kind of staying most busy with these days is uh, actually my fiction writing. Um, I have a a new uh, military-themed science fiction uh, series called Breaker of Empires. That's basically a a sci-fi novel series that follows the adventures of a character by the name of Sikander North, uh, who is an officer in the Navy of a great colonial power and a sort of age of great power rivalry in the far future. So in a lot of ways, it's like uh, the age of colonialism uh, fought out with uh, uh, rail cannons and, and uh, uh, kinetic weapons and lasers in space. So it's a, it's a nice. lot of fun. In terms of uh, uh, Sasquatch Game Studio, our most recent thing is our alternative science fiction role-playing game. We kickstarted that, gosh, back in 2017 and have been working very hard uh, on the game since. Uh, we got the Alternity Core rulebook out this summer and had it available at Gen Con. I'm now working uh, on some of the uh, supplements or expansions to the game. So the one that I've been working on actually kind of most right now is something called the Protostar Mission Guide, which is essentially an adventure anthology and campaign setting mashed up into one digest-sized book, all about a solar system in the year 2268 and uh, all the fun shenanigans you can get into there. That's awesome because I remember last time you were on the show, you gave us like a brief look at what you were working on and that sci-fi adventure novels that you're that are now out that's what you were kind of talking about and now they're there you can go you can go and purchase them our listeners who are excited about hearing about them can go and check them out now oh that'd be super it is funny i mean it it, when you're in the middle of it, it seems like, man, this is never going to come out. I can't believe yeah. it. I'm, I'm talking about something that I'm just, you know, just a year away from being done with. And so, yeah, it's funny. It happened to just check back in after a suitable amount of time. And, and hey, we did finish it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so the other question, is there anything else that you're working on that you're excited about that also you can talk about that you want to share with the listeners? I, I would say that the, uh, the other thing I'm working on that I'm kind of excited about is uh, – I am uh, working hard on a alternate history novel, sort of a rather uh, atomic punk uh, version of World War II. <laughs> this is kind of a, a, a new project for me. I'm writing a little bit on speculation, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. If if you were to try to mash up, oh, I don't know, let's say uh, Harry Turtledove alternate history with uh, ancient aliens, that would probably be about where, where this kind of winds up. So <laughs> oh, nice. I'm, I'm bringing in a bunch of stuff like old... Uh, in search of episodes and, and you know, Graham Hancock, uh, fingerprints of the gods type stuff, and mashing that all in with a, uh, a story of the Pacific War that begins in 1937 when uh, Japan bombs the gunboat USS Panay and uh, a war breaks out. So I've got secret agents running all over the Far East and, and exploring mysterious ruins and uh, atomic-powered dirigibles fighting in the skies above the Pacific, and it's all kinds of fun stuff. So that's uh, something I'm... I'm putting a bunch of time into, um, I'm 75,000 words into the book and, and I'm really stoked to uh, get it wrapped up and, and, uh, see, uh, you know, see if I can uh, sell it to anybody. Yeah. That must be fascinating to like go through and you probably dive really deep into history and learn new things for yourself, but then to be able to go, 
but I'm going to change these elements. I'm going to change the history here. I'm going to change this to make a totally different story out of what happened. It, the amount of research you have to do on this sort of thing is, is just hilarious. Because, I mean, even though I'm changing things, I kind of want to know what things are mm-hmm. that I'm changing. So, you know, I have spent a ton of time in the last few days, for example, reading everything I can read about the Gobi Desert, <laughs> you know, because I got an important scene set out there. Yeah. And there's a uh, there's a sort of like mythology or sort of like ancient ancient alien speculation that... There was a civilization in the Gobi, like you know, you know, ten thousand years ago. Okay, that's kind of cool. I can work with that. That's something I want to tell a story about. But now I got to find out. Okay, what the people say was there. Why do they say it? Where exactly in the Gobi are they talking about? Because it turns out the Gobi is gigantic. <laughs> it's really big, and I don't want to, for example, if I'm going to set something in the Gobi, drop it right on top of like you know one of the rare parts of the Gobi that somebody lives in. You know, I mean, not that I expect a lot of readers to be in the Gobi for my book. You know, but. Uh, but still, you want to know, uh, you know, what's where out there. And, and if I say that somebody steals the expedition's truck and, and drives off, how, how screwed are they? Oh, you're, you're 110 miles from the nearest well. Man, you better start walking. <laughs> Hope you get there before you run out of water, right? I mean, that's fun stuff. So you mentioned that the Gobi is gigantic, and that's a good transition into our surprise question that we have for you. This one <laughs> comes from one of our Patreon dragons, Mind Weave RPG. And before before I ask their question, I have a question to ask you. So, I mean, you've been doing playing, and you've been creating role-playing games. You've been a game designer for a while, but you've been playing longer. How, about how long can I ask have you been playing role-playing games? Because that's going to kind of come into this next question. I started with uh, D&D, uh, I guess, back in 1977 with the old uh, blue box that was sort of like the monochrome blue that had the the, the red dragon on the front. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I actually got one of those that actually had dice in it, so I was ahead of the game. Some of those, you know, went out with, like, little bags of, you know, counters to cut out and put, you know. But uh, so I guess I would be... 42 years now? Yeah, you've got some years of playing and running games under your belt. So here's here's the question with that stipulation there that you've been doing this for quite a while. What Mindweave RPG asks, what is the largest creature that you or your players have ever fought? You have ever fought or used against players? Fairly recently in a campaign that uh, my... Uh, fellow Sasquatch Steve Schubert was running. Uh, we were up against a gargantuan white dragon. I, I, I'm trying to think if you ever fought like a colossal dragon. You know, yeah. I'm thinking now like the third edition size categories because that's easy. It's like <laughs> the first thing I thought of was, you know, how big was the miniature on the map that we were looking at? Because that's yeah. kind of the easiest thing to sort of bring to mind. And I don't think I've ever fought, you know, one of the, you know, uh, confronted one of the colossal miniatures because there just aren't that many of those around, really. <laughs> So yeah, that uh, great gargantuan uh, white dragon miniature uh, miniature, right? It's the size of a shoe, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, so that was that was pretty cool to uh, you know to have my characters go up against you know to to fight against that as a player in Steve's game. I do remember uh, a long time ago uh, playing in an encounter where we fought a a brontosaurus um, that was essentially a moving castle for goblins. Right, that there are actually like That's you know fantastic. fifty goblins like manning the the battlements that have been you know the the wicker baskets and and basket you know and, and battlements and stuff that have been built on top of this brontosaurus and we had to take it on and and the brontosaurus itself wasn't really 
wasn't really the focus of the encounter, thank goodness, because we were only like, you know, fifth level dudes. <laughs> it was so big that it was it was the setting, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and every now and then, right, you would say, you know, the, yeah, you see the foot come up near you. It looks like it's <laughs> yeah. getting ready to stomp. You failed your deck save. You died. Yeah. So, but, but the save was pretty easy to kind of dive out of the way. Uh, but, you know, then you were, you know, lying on the ground and you took a little bit of, of you know, shockwave damage, essentially. And so it was all about getting to the brontosaurus and scaling it and getting up into yeah. the, into the you know, the, the battle, the, the battlements so you could fight the goblins and on top of this thing that was roaring and stomping around. That's fantastic. That's a that's a that's great sounding battle. There's something as both a DM as a and as a player when you take when you are using minis and you take a gargantuan or colossal whatever size it is and you place it down. There's that excitement and also if you're a player, probably dread of oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, you try not to metagame it too much, right? But the the gargantuan white dragon comes out as like. Okay, let's think. Is that like a CR seventeen monster or like a CR twenty five monster? I can't remember. You know, it's you know we're like you know sixteenth level, right? If it's the low end, no problem. If it's the high end, we're really gonna have a hard day at the office here. We're right? in trouble here. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you, Rich, for that answer, and thank you, Mindweave Games, for that awesome question. Let's jump into what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about the warlock to start us off with the warlock this was something that at a catacon this year neil and me we asked you about coming back on the show and we said what would what would be something you'd like to talk about and you told us the warlock would be something that you'd be like to talk about so can you maybe start us off by telling us what's your interest in the warlock and start us off with what what is exactly a warlock and what makes it stand out from other spellcasting classes like wizards and clerics. Uh, so the reason I'm I'm kind of interested in the warlock is uh, uh, in a lot of ways uh, the warlock as it exists in 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 D and D these days is is kind of my doing. Back in the third edition era, I worked on the book Complete Arcane, and at the time the third edition splat books, we were essentially introducing a couple of new Varying classes in each one of the splat books, so we knew we had a couple that we were going to take a look at, you know, for complete arcane, and we tried out a couple different things. But, but the one that uh, I really kind of got into my head is the idea of, okay, is there a way to build a magic using class that doesn't actually make extensive use of the list of spells in the player's handbook, and what would that class look like? You know, even before that, I was uh, I was the guy behind the the sorcerer because I made the observation in in the third edition you know initial design work. Hey, uh, we have a huge resource in the player's handbook, uh, a huge amount of very valuable real estate tied up in wizard spells. So we've got like you know forty pages of this book that do nothing except support one single character class, the wizard. Is there another character class we can come up with that could make use of that same real estate and, and kind of leverage it? And that's where the the whole notion of the sorcerer came out with uh, you know came around from. And it wound up being a pretty handy character class for a few reasons. Uh, it's easier to run than the wizard. It's easier for new players to get into to learn how to run a, a saucer than it is to uh, run a wizard and a few other things like that. So a couple of years later, I started. Uh, I came around to the idea of skinning that cat a different way and saying, okay, what is a magical character that would not use that resource and what would that look like? At the time, I was playing in a, a fairly high-level third edition campaign, and one of the things I, I noticed was when you're actually playing, you know, a adventuring day that only lasts three or four encounters typically, and each of those encounters often lasts only three to five rounds, 
can actually do the math and say, how many actions is my character going to take today? And that is a very finite number. That, that number is going to be, in some cases, as low as like six or seven. And at the upper end, maybe as high as about 20 to 25. So at the point where you take a look at like the wizard spell progression table, at the point where the total number of spells you can cast per day exceeds the total number of actions you're going to take during that day, you can at that point say, I don't really care about how many spells I memorize because I'm going to know more spells that I'm going to be able to use today, no matter what happens. So the, the Warlock came around uh, with when I looked at it and said, okay, I think what we can do is we can kind of take the, the effort that a wizard would be expected to put forward uh, towards beating the bad guys over the course of you know a 15-round day, and we can come up with something that's equivalent and give it to the Warlock as a, a very simple... Yeah, we used to call it like the magic zot, right? You know, the, I can just do this thing every round. I never have to uh, worry about how many times a day I can do it. And that's where the, the, the foundational mechanic of the warlock, the Eldritch Blast, came from, is the idea of, let's just say this guy can make a magical attack. And he can do it any time he wants to, once a round. And that magical attack is going to do a, an amount of damage that, you know, is, is kind of scaled to match the, the spell output that we would expect from a, a caster. So it, in a lot of ways, right, the Warlock began as an exercise in, in math and an exercise in mechanical opportunity, right? <laughs> it's like, what could we do that would make, would run a, a magical character on the, the chassis of somebody who rolls attacks every round and does damage every round and, and just have it feel like a magical caster? And it turns out that at the point where you, uh, where you give the, the Warlock an Eldritch Blast and you put a few different riders on it, like, hey, could be fire, could be ice, could be dark soul power. The guy starts feeling pretty magical, right? <laughs> so the rest of that stuff all starts to kind of come into uh, coming around it. And in a lot of ways, the things like the invocations, the special abilities that the Warlock has, the the different riders he can put in his Eldritch Blast, the different little magical tricks he can, he can pull. In a lot of ways, that's all uh, started off as uh, window dressing. Uh, for the the mechanics and it's very cool and interesting window dressing uh it's fun window dressing especially when the warlock started to kind of develop into this sort of a little bit of a bad boy image in third edition right where we we, we dress him in black leather you know we gave him a, a goatee because you know goatees are sinister you know <laughs> <laughs> you know and all the little trappings of it it's like all right i think we're having fun with this and we're saying he's got to make a pact with a yeah, where's the magic come from? Somebody's giving it to him, right? That's where the whole idea of the pact came from. And so, yeah, that's the essential origin of the of the warlock in terms of we had the mechanics, we came up with the flavor that kind of wrapped around that, and it took off. People loved it. We wound up getting them in the fourth edition pretty quick, and and then they they appeared in fifth edition pretty quick. So I mean, clearly there's there's something there. I don't even I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I know. I just gave you like about ten minutes of explanation on that. I'm sorry about no, the but long I mean, answer. no, but it, no, but no, it's no. not. You, but it's not even that it's you know, I mean, it's not just that you gave us the ideas behind what the warlock is but like seriously anyone listening go listen to the past 10 minutes because you also just got schooled in what game design looks like and <laughs> i i'm just saying like that that's the way to look especially if you want to create homebrew content for your own world if you want to go so far as to be putting stuff out on the dm's guild look at what's already there unfortunately no one said there would not be math. There's going to be math. You got to do it to figure out how it interacts <laughs> and it stacks up against the, these other things. Also, I feel like the warlock versus the wizard, like the wizard has like this really cool canon 
but it takes a lot more work. You got to remember to have all of these things. But the warlock just showed up in leather belts and had a pistol and just started shooting everybody <laughs> with Eldritch Blast. And that's why I think that's why it got that like idea that it's so cool and it's like this darker kind of per, like persona behind them. If there's anything I kind of regret about the design of the warlock at third edition is I think we got a little too cautious. Mm-hmm. We set the damage of the Eldritch Blast. Uh, about a D6 too low at low levels and about as much as maybe three to four D6 too low by the time you got it to higher levels because we were a little bit scared about how good it felt to just make a magic attack every <laughs> every single round, right? It was like, ah, this feels too good. So we, we got a little timid about it. And I, I kind of regret that. I do remember a player who was the first player at my table to play a warlock and the excitement he had in playing a spellcaster that was able to at those low levels constantly using magic because like fifth edition has kind of certainly improved upon that as far as the wizard and like being that first level wizard in those like earlier editions was hard. You had to have this mindset of, yeah, but I'm going to get cool. I'm going to like grow (laughs) in level and I'm going to become useful right now. I can use three spells. It's fine. But like the world, I got a wicked sling arm and a dagger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Quarter staff time. Now I've run out of spells, but like the warlock kind of broke that mold. And I, I remember specifically a player commenting and like seeing the excitement of that. A question I have for you, Rich, Because as I kind of look at the lore behind a warlock and the style that the warlock has, I have to say that with the warlock, I see a lot, personally, I see a lot of what I would equate to what we get in myths and stories and legends about witches. Was a witch, the witch and myths, was that something that was inspiration to the warlock? I know there are certain there are certain lores that the word warlock does equate to male witch. So I'm wondering, was that where a lot of the inspiration of that style, that lore uh, around it came from? Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that, yeah, I mean, very definitely so. We were certainly a, very aware of the fact that the, to a lot of people out there, warlock and witch are essentially synonymous. It's just, you know, the, the gendered form of the word. This has nothing to do with like real Wiccan traditions or, you know, real world witchcraft or traditions. This is this is all about drawing on on all the myths and stories and, and, and legends that kind of surround the idea of of the witch and, and playing around with the idea of, uh, you know, hey, you have a patron. Right. I mean, you 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 signed your soul away to somebody. Right. Uh, uh, you know, you put your name in the black book <laughs> and and because of that, you got. You've got earthly power. The bad news is uh, when you finally kick it, you might have some some owning up to do. <laughs> so, yeah, we were definitely playing around with the idea that, uh, you know, that this is power that you're not supposed to have, that, that most people would shy away from making the sort of bargain that you chose to make in order to get power. And, and so in some ways, the, uh, the core question of the warlock is, is it ever a good idea to use evil to fight evil? Right, I think it's the real ethical question at the heart of the warlock class, and that, and one that I hope a lot of players uh, kind of explore. Now, I know with different patrons, you know, you might say, "Hey, no, I've got a fey patron, so you know, I don't have to, you know, really talk about trading away my soul," and, and that's cool. There's lots. It's fun to see people put lots of different spins on things you could do with with the warlock premise. In fact, we had a great one in, in the in the fourth edition Dark Sun setting. We used the sorcerer kings of Athos who had these these casters called Templars who were basically like the evil clerics who could like draw power straight from the, uh, the sorcerer king. In fourth edition, we said, you know, 
those guys shouldn't be clerics. They should totally be warlocks who have a pact with the sorcerer king, right? So that's a that's a fun way of kind of taking that tech that tech and that image and bending it in a different direction to, to suit a particular world. Uh, and I just totally rambled away from the whole witch and warlock question. So yes, we totally did <laughs> think about the idea of the you know the legendary like you know Salem witch trial thing of a you met you know the spawn of evil and the spawn of evil is the guy you know who handed you a book and said put your name here and I'll give you everything you want. But I have to give you credit. Your rambling took us straight to the next topic that we want to talk about, which is the the power of the pact. And I think that main conceit of even if it's good, the basic idea is that you're still robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're getting power now that even if it's a good person your your soul may be indebted to that good creature for x number of years or decades because you took the power now to do something and then you immediately started talking about another great idea where it's you know it's almost this earthly being but they have so much power that you can still make that pact like you said with the sorcerer king so there's so many amazing ways to create that pact and that kind of transfer of power and what that means for the player and of course the npc that is now directly tied to your player oh yeah i mean uh, i mentioned the idea of like the sorcerer kings of athos but i mean if you were playing in a Greyhawk setting and you wanted to say, hey, yeah, I use, right, the, you know, the horrible demigod of evil that, you know, is a, you know, a big problem for so many of the, of the lands around him. Could you imagine like a caste or class or, uh, and by class, I mean, like, you know, social hierarchy, you know, a group of aristocrats or nobles who are sworn to, sworn soul and body to I use and, and I use provides them with power to go around and, and, and just do things, right? It'd be great the next time you fought an army of orcs in that corner of the, the world. If you know there there's a you know a half orc warlock of Ayus who's stop, standing in the back of the ranks of the bad guys firing eldritch blasts at you. I mean that's just that's just good fun for everybody. <laughs> yeah, this is where my mind just starts like running with ideas as a DM, and most of our listeners right now are DMs, and for those who are listening with players that are choosing the warlock class this idea of the pact with an otherworldly being not a god like the cleric but perhaps like rich you've been saying it could be could be a demon could be a devil could be uh, an arch fey it could be like it could be some weird alien other plane creature but close to power of a god but not quite a god this is where my mind goes Oh man, this is it. This is where, as a DM, I get to sit down with that player before we even start the campaign and work with them on who is your patron? What is this pact that you have made with this patron? Is this something that you made willingly? Is this something that like this patron came to you and basically tricked you or forced you into? Do you like this patron? Do you hate this patron? Whatever it is. And this idea of a patron that interacts with you, I think there's, I think it's built into the class for this to be more of an interaction typically than a cleric with a god. I, I would see this being an open door to explore almost a whole different realm that maybe you haven't explored as a DM with your players because of your player who has chosen a warlock and working with them on who is who is the one that is giving you this power? The funny thing about clerics is, in a lot of ways, uh, the cleric class sort of presumes a bit of a hierarchy, right? That, that when you start off at low level, 
you're not assumed to be the high priest of Odin in this particular world, right? You're assumed to be an acolyte, a, you know, somebody pretty low on the, on the ladder. And there's a whole great big social organization that has expectations of what you can and can't do. Whereas the, the warlock's relationship is, is much more one-on-one, right? Uh, so it would be strange if your second-level dude got a message directly from Odin, right? We just wouldn't normally expect that in a lot of RPG campaigns. But a second-level dude who has a patron that says something to him or requires something of a, you know, kind of immediately and, and uh, directly is, is not so crazy because warlock patrons tend to be guys who don't have gigantic sprawling empires and, and uh, social hierarchies that span a world. They tend to be beings that have to work through uh, one or two or a handful of chosen mortals at the same time. At the very minimum, by the way, the, the patron makes a fantastic quest giver. Yes. If you, have, uh, if you have something you want the players to go do and you're having a hard time getting them to realize why they want to do it, that warlock patron can be somebody you can kind of come right in and say, you know, I need you to go to the castle of... Thargon, and there you're going to find something, and you're going to destroy it. And your friends are going to want you to take it with you, and and but you're you're going to destroy it no matter what they say. And the warlock's like, okay, what's in it for me? <laughs> well, I won't, <laughs> I won't destroy. It. Although I think it's also even fun for expanding expanding bargains, right? There's no reason why, uh, especially like I mentioned earlier, the idea that the third edition warlock might be a little bit underpowered. One way you could kind of patch around that is. Let the player do, you know, uh, go deeper into the bargain, right? Where Demogorgon says, tell you what, I'll give you an extra, you know, uh, I'll, I'll make your Eldritch Blast a little bit more powerful if you'll just do this one little favor for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you can have all kinds of fun with that. My mind keeps going to like other actual play podcasts and other examples. I know that in the, um, when this kind of gets into adventure hooks and, and things like that, yeah. which is which is our next topic, but in the Venture Maidens, essentially the warlock there needs to re-up their pact. Basically, they're switching from one patron to the other. But the new patron says, but here's the deal. I need to go (laughs) ahead and take your body for the next 24 hours. You can wait here in my realm, and I'll be back. (laughs) And then the player... Yeah, the player has no idea necessarily what happened (laughs) in those 24 hours. (laughs) Yeah. So stuff like like that. Like you said, I, I will gladly cancel your old pack give you a new exciting one and um you know don't worry about the the rest of the dotted line and it's it's fine it's fine <laughs> yeah that's great if you've got a player that has like buy into that kind of interaction with a patron that could like lead to such great adventure hooks and and like you were saying rich it could lead to the next quest or whatever it is that you are kind of trying to move these players towards the patron of a warlock is a fantastic way to move that along. I also like to think about like, what is the, as you are the DM and probably going to role play this patron. I also like to think of like, what is the way that your this patron of this warlock has a voice? Like, do they, do they appear directly and have direct interactions with, their warlock do they speak through messages inscribed on stone along the the road that the that the warlock is traveling on voices in the head uh, items like a crystal ball dreams visions oh, i feel I like, like there's one. so many ways that this patron can 
talk to you. And the great part about this is that some of these are going to make your warlock look more crazy than others, right? If you have like visions in the <laughs> dreams, it's like you're it's going to look a little different when you wake up and you have a message from your patron than if you have voices in your head that you're constantly talking back to. You could also do things that are potentially geographically limited, right? I mean, the th- thought that just crossed my mind, I I think it was the Golden Voyage of Sinbad where they had to go speak to uh, Aramon the Demon. You know, and it was this creepy face that was like in a, you know that appeared in a well uh, above a well. And it wasn't like you could just talk to Araman anywhere. You actually had to go yeah. find this one freaking temple, you know, and go down there and, and you know, and I think they had to kill somebody there or something like that. <laughs> there, but there was some, like, you know, something that had to be done in order to get Araman to appear yeah. and so that they could actually speak to him and find out, hey, we got a problem we got to fix. Tell us how to do it. No reason at all that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting if the warlock feels like, okay, you know, darn it, I now have discovered I have to go back to the mouth of hell. And I had to go stand in the in the mouth of hell and, and cast into the mouth, mouth of hell diamond of whatever value or a loved one or <laughs> whatever it is you have to do in order to get yep. your patron to appear. Um, you could have a you could have a lot of fun with that. Don't make it a love one. That's pretty dark and creepy. But you know, <laughs> the the other thing that that made me think of was and in this again ties into the adventure hooks is potentially having it be maybe they try and level up and it doesn't work. Like they don't get more power (laughs) or they try and cast at some point and it doesn't work the right way. And so then there's now this question. And like you said, this adventure hook or basically, or, you know, and it could be personal. It could be for the whole party, but like, I think I have a problem. My patron, I'm getting nothing back from my patron. I've got a busy tone and we should really (laughs) figure this out. And then, you know, the two different directions are figuring out what's wrong. Is the patron dead? Will they need to find a new pact? A lot of stuff could come from that. That's fantastic. I totally had that idea just kind of jotted down as a adventure that I felt would be really cool for a warlock is what if your patron dies or you decide to leave him if you can, right, with the pact, or he decides or she decides to leave you and forsake you. I feel like that opens the door to, all right, I need another patron, and now you have to go and seek out like you were talking about with the actual play, like that's that's a whole awesome adventure that you can go on with your players. You know, another fun possibility, too, is why do you think you're the only warlock that this particular patron hmm. is sponsoring? You know, what uh, what of the other mortals uh, who also are getting power from this particular source? Are those people your your allies, your colleagues, uh, or are they your rivals? Yeah. Right. Are they are they trying to actively bump you off because they're jealous of the attention you're getting from your patron, or they're trying to prove to you know your common patron, hey, I'm the one that actually deserves to have all the power. Don't waste your time with you know uh, these other guys. View, yeah, viewing it as a finite is more of a finite resource, and then wanting to off you so that they can gain more power. Essentially, it's that movie with Jet Li, the one. <laughs> I will kill all other warlocks. There's a really dark adventure for PCs right there. One of the things that I often go back to is a campaign adventure where all the players are the same class, having there being interesting aspects to that. And if you were to, say, have a group of warlocks that worshipped the same patron... With that mentality of I've got to 
like I'm jealous. I want to be the only one who serves this elder being or whatever it is. You could literally have a campaign where you and the rest of the PCs are traveling around offing off warlocks. And the big end finale (laughs) is, all right, we're the only ones left. Who's going to come out on top? I mean, if nothing else, that that, that brings up that whole uh, I use evil to fight evil thing, right? Yeah. If, especially if you're the if you're the one renegade, you know, in your particular set of of warlocks from a common patron, it's like I know that these other people are really really bad because I used to be one. We have to get rid of these guys because they are otherwise going to destroy the world. That could be a lot of fun. So the last thing that we have for discussion is we have the idea of homework for you, the listeners. So we have talked about the warlock a lot on this episode, but there maybe there's some extra material out there that you could dive into besides the player's handbooks that you're already hopefully checking out with information on the warlocks that can give you inspiration or knowledge about the warlock. What do we, what do you guys think? Are there, are there books podcasts, movies that could be good inspiration for a DM with a warlock as a PC or a, or a player who wants to play a warlock. Uh, in terms of movies, right. I, I was, a, I, I'm going to butcher the actor's name, but I, I think it was Julian Sands actually did a movie called the warlock. And, and it was interesting because he just had like all the, uh, he, he was a very powerful magic using creature. Um, but he just had like all sorts of like, kind of like weird rules that he had to follow. Because that was just the nature of it, right? Like the Puritan uh, witch hunter who was on his trail at one point fa- finds his footprints, right? Where it's clear he knew that the warlock had just passed through there and it, it found his bare footprint. And he takes an iron nail and a hammer and he hammers an iron nail into the footprint. And like a mile away, the warlock goes, yow! <laughs> it falls over <laughs> clutching his foot. Right, because he has this mystic vulnerability that if you, you know, he's gained all this power, but in gaining all this power, he's also gained new limitations, new new rules he has to play under. You know, whether the warlock is a is a good movie or not, yeah, I kind of leave it for you to judge. But I think it's a, <laughs> uh, it was certainly in my head when I was thinking about interesting things that what you know, a pact might mean and 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 the sorts of things you can kind of get for being a warlock. Awesome. So the one I'll throw out is called Tome of the Pact. It's currently on the Dungeon Masters Guild. It's a currently a platinum bestseller, and it has new patrons, new invocations, and a lot of different avenues by which you could kind of look at the warlock, especially for 5th edition, but to get more inspiration just having them in your game in general. I think that if you're looking for inspiration on a otherworldly patron, I think that any of H.P. Lovecraft's works oh, is yeah. a good place to go to if you if you want to get that feel for that creepy how to play that otherworldly patron. Like we said, there's so many options, right? Because you could be an Archfey patron, but uh, if you want that that Cthulhu esque patron, those are the perfect place to go. Yeah. And I also gotta say, I gotta reference the book that. I think started this whole idea for this episode, Complete Arcana, which is sitting on my uh, shelf right now, signed by the author, Rich Baker. Um, (laughs) Quite proud of that, but that's a perfect place to go as well. I'll throw another one out there for like a character that I think kind of can help embody how a warlock could be, would be uh, Constantine. um, Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
look at the you know the comics and the movie if you feel again if you feel inclined um <laughs> and the tv show and just the way he approaches things and kind of that full knowledge of what's going on in the background and how to kind of abuse and use those relationships the uh, elric of melnibide stories by michael morcock uh, mm. elric is yep. You know, obviously in D&D terms, you know, he's often described as a, as a wizard because he casts like lots of summoning spells. But if you actually read the books and read the sorts of interactions he has all the time where he's like, OK, I'm going to summon, you know, the giant mosquito god, you know, that's going to like, you know, be 60 feet tall and be able to just like exsanguinate my enemies, uh, you know, horribly. You know, he actually has, you know, all these old deals and packs and, and offers that, you know, uh, that his family had made down through the generations mm-hmm. with all these different demons and, and creatures. Uh, and of course, at the very, you know, at the, at, you know, the, the summation, am I right? Blood and souls for my Lord Ariok, right? <laughs> I mean, every time he's going into battle swinging Stormbringer, right? He's, yep. <laughs> he's killing people and saying, hey, Ariok, this is for you. Remember? So if you're playing a warlock, yeah, you should shout blood and souls for my Lord Ariok every now and then. <laughs> you know, just, just because. Yeah, and those books are so much inspiration for so many so so many D things yeah love those books so rich thank you so much for joining us again on another episode of the dmb thanks for coming on and talking about the warlock we're going to wrap this up but before we do rich if our listeners want to maybe see what you're working on check out anything rich baker where are the best places for them to go for that. I uh, do have a uh, website, richardbakerauthor.com. Uh, I also have a, uh, a Facebook uh, author page, you know, and you can certainly like and follow me there. Perfect. So we encourage you to all do that. Um, keep up to date with what Rich is doing. And Rich, thanks again for coming on to the Dungeon Masters block. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Woo! And with that, let's head to the Mailbag of Holding. But they have been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Today for the Mailbag of Holding, the place where we look at ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener, we are looking at an email from Charles. And Charles writes in specifically about a story time idea um, in the past where we discussed a side adventure that I ran for my players where they got to play evil characters doing battle in a dungeon in a competitive style game for some evil gods. The winner ascended to be one of the lead main villains for the campaign that was currently being played by our players normally. So this was kind of like a side adventure that we did one night. I believe it was like around Halloween. And so his question that he writes in is, Can you please give an example or two of the way you scored points for who was the victor for the dark gods in the dungeon that was run? And so, uh, Charles, this was, first of all, this was a long time ago, so my memory is a little foggy, but I do believe that this being a one-shot, we actually played it as a last man standing in this dungeon who could basically survive this terrible dungeon the longest and the one who was able to survive the other pcs were brought back as undead minions of that pc to fight in that campaign but neil what are some other ways if you were doing like a competitive one-shot campaign if you wanted there to be a victor and that victor maybe was 
going to have some sort of their PC would be important in a campaign that you were going to run or were currently running? What's some other ways that you could do some sort of like score or way that that type of character can win? So I think the first thing to me, especially with the framework of this being put on by a dark god or something along those lines, would be trying to get into like that that mental headspace of like, what would that God find important? Like if it's the trickster mm-hmm. God, yeah, maybe the, maybe a kill is some sort of points. And I think having each kill, you know, each actual killing blow being some level of points for sure. But then what if it's, I convinced everyone else that I killed this thing and that the other person is lying. Oh, that's going to go way, way up. Whereas if it's a God of battle, maybe the kill isn't important, but so-and-so did more damage than anyone else or knock them prone and then you know that's almost like the assist and then you get things so i think putting exactly who you're doing it for and then using that as your framework for why would they think it's good and using points based off of that yeah you could absolutely do it in the sense of just every kill is worth a certain amount of points and in the end it does add up and whoever has the most kills but you could totally morph the dungeon to be based off of what God is running it. And like, while you were talking to y'all, I'm thinking, well, what if there's, it's a, not a trickster God, but what if it's a God that's more interested in battle tactics and strategy? Like is your character figuring out ways and you can place things in that dungeon crawl to reward players who try to find interesting ways to kill their enemies. If they're doing a perception check, looking around for a way that they can figure out how to successfully block off their enemies or just take out a bunch of enemies at once. Maybe they look up and they see a bunch of rocks that if disturbed will fall upon Mm. their enemies and take out a number of them. Uh, Just looking for ways to fill in what type of God it is into the campaign, into the adventure and rewarding your players that way. Definitely. And I think the the quick last piece I would give that, I mean, going off of what you said is help the players know, like, don't let them be in the dark mm-hmm. as to what that is, but also don't just give it out freely. Maybe it's a perception check to see, okay, these things are there. Like you said with the rocks, like, okay, like a passive perception or a easy perception check to see those rocks or other things and whether or not they use them, then that's up to the players, but be it kind of throwing out some breadcrumbs as to probably what would get them more points and also just letting them think whatever they want because it's also really funny it's like (laughs) oh these are getting me all these points and then you find out at the end now that's not true absolutely if you're if you're great with creating riddles and you have that trickster god have every room of the dungeon have a riddle inscribed above the door and let the players figure out what that is only now in a competitive format they're not going to be working together they're going to be in their own minds secretly trying to figure out what does this riddle point me towards the victory points of this room being i like it so thanks so much charles for writing in we appreciate that question yes thank you very much well we hope that you've enjoyed that discussion on the warlock Thanks again to Rich for coming back on the yes. show and just, I mean, giving us so much awesome inspiration and wisdom about the Warlock as a class and how we can use the Warlock in-game with our players. So, Neil, if our listeners would like to write into us to get in touch with us, tell us about some of the inspiration that they have received from the Warlock class, how they've used them in their homebrew worlds, where can they reach us at? 
Uh, and also, if you want to ask us a question that may get featured on the Mailbag of Holding, you can always email Aye. us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you like this episode and you want to tell us about how you're going to make fun of a player with an NPC, head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star <laughs> review, which we'll read on air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, those are the best two places to go. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Delaney Blair! Thank you so much, Delaney. Delaney is a gold dragon. So we really appreciate all the support that you're giving to our shows, helping us go strong, and make more content for the future and we really hope that you are enjoying all the rewards that you are able to reap on our patreon as well and as always the dungeon masters block is a proud member of the block party podcast network where you can go check out other shows like geek wars detentions and dragons dungeons and dragons and daughters and more well that's all we have for you on this episode of the dungeon masters block the place where we come to talk about the dungeon master the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch reminding you to keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.